Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 35. In the last episode, I covered Gideon's oldest son, Jether, and his half-brother, Abimelech, along with the Canaanite deity, Belbereth. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up with Gideon's youngest son. And with that, let's get started. Next up in Judges is Gideon's youngest son, Jotham, the only one to survive Abimelech's wrath when he escaped by hiding. In Hebrew, his name means Yahweh is perfect or Yahweh is complete. Besides escaping death, Jotham is most well known for a parable, known as that of the Bramble King. This is generally considered the first parable in the Bible especially true if you take the position that the Bible is literally correct, meaning there are other stories that may be parables, but they aren't presented as such. There's a lot embedded in there, and I'll just press forward. Perhaps I'll circle back at some point. Back with Jotham, and in Judges 9, we're told that when the citizens of Shechem and the whole house of Milo were gathered together, by the plain of the pillar, meaning the stone set up by Joshua, when they were gathered there to make Abimelech their king, Jotham, from one of the heights of Mount Gerizim, protested. And it wasn't just any protest. He told a story that I'll get to in just a minute. His words proved to be prophetic. But that will have to wait. After shouting at the top of his lungs, Jotham fled to Beer from the vengeance of Abimelech. I'll get to beer soon, too. But first, the parable, sometimes called the parable of the trees. From the text, slightly abridged and certainly paraphrased, Jotham stood atop Mount Jerzy and cried aloud to the lords of Shechem, Listen to me, you lords of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over themselves. So they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. The olive tree answered them, Shall I stop producing my rich oil to rule over the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree answered them, Shall I stop producing my sweetness and delicious fruit to rule over you? Then the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I stop producing my wine to rule over you? So all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you anoint me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Jotham then continued, If you acted in good faith when you made Abimelech king, and if you had dealt well with Gideon's house, and have done to him as his actions deserved, for my father fought for you, and risked his life, and rescued you from the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his sons, seventy on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his slave woman, king over the lords of Shechem. Because he is your kinsman, I say you have acted in good faith and honor with Gideon's house. Then rejoice in Abimelech, 
and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out of Abimelech, and devour the lords of Shechem, and Beth Milo. And let fire come out of the lords of Shechem, and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. Then Jotham ran away and fled, going to Beer, where he remained for fear of his brother Abimelech. And that's the first parable. When I read through it, I was reminded of the Turkish proverb of the axe. The forest was shrinking, but the trees kept voting for the axe, for the axe was clever, and convinced the trees that because his handle was made of wood, he was one of them. And this Turkish parable is related to a broader category known as the woodcutter and the trees, which cover a set of complex fables that are of West Asian and Greek origins with the Greek version generally being ascribed to Aesop, who lived between about 620 and 564 BC, which would place him around 600 years after Jotham. In general, these fables warn the reader, or listener as the case may be, about being wary of harming oneself through misplaced generosity or trust. And in the case of Jotham's tale, it was certainly trust. One of the earliest mentions of a fable like this can be found in the story of Ahakar, a royal counselor to the late Assyrian kings who was betrayed by his adopted son. When the young man begs for a second chance, he is answered with a string of reasons why this would be useless. The reasoning draws on West Asian folklore. Among these is the accusation that the son has been to his adopted father like the tree that said to its woodcutters, If something of me were not in your hands, ye had not fallen upon me. Like you can easily guess, this refers to the fact that the axes of the woodsmen have wooden shafts and that the trees have therefore contributed to their own doom. A number of proverbs are potentially derived from the story, with the general meaning of being to blame for one's own misfortune. The dating of this proverb is well after Jotham, potentially the 8th century BC, and the stories are more than dissimilar enough to provide plausible separation. The woodcutter fable is essentially the same as the one found in the Book of Tobit, considered canonical by the Catholic Church, among others. There's also the ancient Hebrew proverb that the axe goes to the wood from whence it borrowed its helve. Similar stories can also be found in Kannada and Urdu, meaning in both cases Indian equivalents, along with the much more well-known Turkish proverb that when the axe came into the forest and the tree said, the handle is one of us, though the last one is constantly modernly repeated as, the forest was shrinking, but the trees kept voting for the axe, for the axe was clever and convinced the trees that because his handle was made of wood, he was one of them. Which has a dead giveaway that it's not from ancient Turkey. The first is that the country of Turkey did not exist until the 20th century. But even if you look past that, the previous nation in the region was the Ottoman Empire, which did not hold elections until just a century before. So, forget what's billed as an ancient Turkish proverb about elections. The shorter one 
that when the axe came into the forest and the trees said, the handle is one of us, that one still holds water. Which is the one that got me on this tangent anyway. Abimelech said, I'm one of you, so choose me as your leader. And his half-brother Jotham tried to warn the people. They didn't listen. Back to the ancient Proverbs. In the ancient Greek culture, and to note, their empire at one time included all of West Asia, so the lands that would become Turkey. In ancient Greece, there were three fables dealing with the relations between trees and woodcutters. In one of these, the oaks complain about their treatment to Zeus, the king of the gods, who answers that they only have themselves to blame for supplying the wood to their axe staves. A different fable with a similar meaning is the eagle wounded by an arrow. In this story, an eagle complains of being wounded by an arrow veined with its own feathers. Commentaries on these fables point out that suffering is increased by the knowledge that it's one's own fault. In another variant of the theme, a woodsman comes into the forest and begs the trees to give him a handle made of the hardest wood. The other trees selected the wood of the wild olive. The man took the handle and fitted it into his axe. Then, without a moment's hesitation, he began to chop down the tree's mighty branches and trunks, taking whichever trees he desired. The oak tree then said to the ash, It serves us right, since we gave our enemy the handle he asked for. The earliest copy of this story can be found in a medieval Latin fable collection, with the added advice that you should think twice before offering anything to your enemies. Seems pretty sound. A later telling has the woodsman breaking his promise to not harm the particular trees and only take those further away. A slightly different telling has the woodcutter's axe begging for its handle from the tree, and the tree gives it. And that's the similar parables, but from later sources. And pretty much it for Jotham. Except he did run to hide to a place called Beer. This is commonly believed to be the same place as Beersheba. If so, this is the largest city in the Negev Desert in what is today southern Israel. Its name translates to the Well of the Oath or the Well of the Seven. As for the Well of the Oath name, this is related to the Oath of Abraham and Abimelech as read in Genesis 21. Different Abimelech and the Well of the Seven references the seven wells dug by Isaac, though the whereabouts of only three, or potentially four of the wells, are known today. It could also refer to the seven lambs used to seal Abraham and Abimelech's oath. And before moving on to the rest of the history, a brief tangent into its climate. Since Beersheba is found on the edge of the Negev, there is no hiding that it's a hot desert with minimal rain, and when it does rain, it tends to be in the winter, but only 8 inches, about 20 centimeters a year, which is still enough to replenish the water table and feed the wells, and sometimes flood the wadi that flows through the town. Summers are hot and dry, and the winters are mild, and snow, well, that's usually limited to a dusting about once a generation. 
As all of these etymologies reference, the Old Testament text refers to wells dug by both Abraham and Isaac, who both settled peace treaties with King Abimelech of Gerar at the site. It was then that Beersheba was founded, at the site where the patriarchs made a covenant with the king. Earlier, Abimelech's men had taken the well from Abraham after he had previously dug it. Then Abraham brought sheep and cattle to Abimelech to get his well back. He set aside seven lambs to swear that it was he that had dug the well, and no one else. Abimelech then conceded that the well belonged to Abraham. Later at Beersheba, Isaac built an altar. Then Jacob had his dream about a stairway to heaven after leaving Beersheba. After the Israelites returned from the Exodus, Beersheba was in the territory of the tribe of Simeon, then Judah. The sons of the prophet Samuel were judges in Beersheba. King Saul built a fort in the town during his campaign against the Amalekites. The prophet Elijah took refuge in Beersheba when Jezebel ordered him killed. Zabiah, the consort of King Ahaziah of Judah and the mother of King Jehoash of Judah, was from Beersheba. The prophet Amos mentions the city in regards to idolatry. Following the Babylonian conquest and subsequent enslavement of many Israelites, the town was abandoned. After the Israelite slaves returned from this captivity, they resettled the town. According to the Old Testament, Beersheba was the southernmost city of the territories settled by Israelites, hence the use of the phrase from Dan to Beersheba to describe the whole kingdom. The ancient site is about two miles, four kilometers from the modern city with the same name, and like I said, located in the southern portion of the modern country of Israel. As should be clear, the city played a prominent role in the history of ancient Israel. All of this, at least in part due to the availability of water, and as evidenced by the seven wells. In the outside record, human settlement in the area dates to around the 4th millennium BC. The oldest finds, though, are from the Copper Age. The inhabitants likely lived in caves, though they weren't exactly cavemen, as they also crafted metal tools. It was the Copper Age, after all. They also apparently raised cattle. The frequency of artifacts picks up around the 10th century BC, which would be about the time Saul is said to have built a fortress there. The streets were laid out in a grid pattern, with separate areas for administrative, commercial, military, and residential use. It is believed to have been the first planned settlement in the region, and is also noteworthy for its elaborate water system, specifically a huge cistern carved out of the rock beneath the town. During the Persian period, so between 539 and 332 BC, Beersheba was in the southern portion of an autonomous province. It was during that era that the city was rebuilt along with a new fortress. Archaeological finds from between 359 and 338 BC include pottery and various related pieces. It's believed that the city's importance diminished before the Greek period, as it was rarely mentioned in the surviving records. That changed a bit with the Romans, as the town served in a frontline defense position against Nabataean attacks. Around 64 BC, 
Pompeius Magnus made Beersheba the southern part of the Judean province, which is where it was during the life of Jesus. After this, and in the era of Vespasian, the city was on the Limes Belt, meaning it was part of a defense line built against the desert tribes. Despite this, the city fell to the Arabs in the 7th century, then to the Turks in the 16th. All throughout this period, it remained at least important as a water source for the nomadic Bedouin tribes. Likely due to the available water, it also remained as a trading center, though during much of this period, it was only minimally occupied. Beersheba would eventually become part of the British Mandate. Then post-World War II, it was incorporated into Israel. And that's the city of Beer. The end of Judges 9 wraps up with Abimelech ruling over Israel, implied as being all of Israel for three years. Which provides me with a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up with the next part of the text in Judges 9. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.